1: From WABE in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Wrightsis. Thank you for listening. Seven years ago, in January of 2015, WABE's Closer Look and our show, City Lights, were born. Today is officially our seventh anniversary, and to celebrate... We're going to listen back to my absolute favorite interview from our first year with comedian Gilbert Gottfried. First, the legendary artist, scholar, and pioneer David Driscoll once said, My interest is to bring in more young people to grow the field with an emphasis on art buttressed by other cultural components as well, literature, drama, music. So more people are looking at African-American art history. Black artwork has been absent throughout much of American history, but creatives such as Atlanta-based artist Radcliffe Bailey are reclaiming its rightful place. He has two new commissions in the works, one at Cascade Springs Nature Preserve in southwest Atlanta and the other in Greensboro, North Carolina, the downtown Greenway. The artist joins me now via Zoom. Radcliffe Bailey, welcome to City Lights.
0: Thank you, thank you.
1: You grew up in Southwest Atlanta, graduated from Mays High School in Cascade Heights. (laughs) How did you feel when you received the commission to create an installation? at the Cascade Springs Nature Preserve near where you grew up?
0: Well, number one, I was very honored. I mean, it's kind of rare sometimes that an artist, uh, you have an opportunity to do artwork within the community that you grew up in. It feels like in my backyard, it's a beautiful thing. Also, because you're sharing it with people that you're close to, be it people that I knew from elementary school, middle school, just growing up, and my parents are around the corner as well. And the springs are actually my backyard. I live literally behind the Cascade Nature Springs. And I walk through that park. So it feels good to actually be able to put place that kind of artwork within that environment. Oh,
1: I can imagine. This commission is part of the Renew Atlanta Public Art Program. What's the inspiration behind the
0: installation? Well pretty much people know me as a painter. You know, I make sculpture, I make paintings, I somewhere in the the lines in between, but my work also goes in a lot of different directions. So this piece itself was really inspired by architecture. I was thinking about almost like an African version of Stonehenge. I was thinking about the histories of the community. I was thinking about all the mayors that have lived in the neighborhood from Shirley Franklin, Cassine Reed, Keisha Lance Bottoms, Andy Young, Andre Dickens, the woman, Mar- Marcy Overstreet, Hank Aaron, Joseph Lowry, Marvin Arrington, and the list goes on and on. I was thinking about all those individuals and um, what they have done. I was thinking about also the histories of civil wars, because the spring is also known for the Battle of Utoy Creek. But I was also thinking about those who fought in civil wars, be it African-Americans, be it just some of the things that we never know, but also thinking about Native Americans and then thinking about civil rights and thinking about, you know, politicians. But one of the major things was when I was a kid, I remember going to an event that was hosted by the city. And it was like one of those concerts where there would roll out a truck. On the back of the truck, there would be the stage. And there was this concert and I remember going to one. And I I remember at that time, I me and my brother, and we we're dressed alike and we we're real young. And I remember meeting uh, Maynard Jackson. Oh. And what I do miss is that kind of community gathering within the communities. And so what I wanted to do was create somewhat of an amphitheater or somewhat of a chapel. It's kind of open air. And it was really about a place where People can perform. I thought also whenever the jazz um, festival comes, people can come and perform within that space. I think about young musicians. I think about a bunch of things. You know, people can actually get married within space. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, it's just one of those spaces that I just wanted to create within the spring.
1: That makes the engagement with art so active i mean it, it's not looking at something on a wall for which i mean no disparagement because we can derive tremendous meaning from looking at a painting but but the idea of movement and music and speaking within these structures gives all the more vitality to public art. Would you describe the appearance of this African Stonehenge as you described it?
0: It's cast concrete. It's almost like a square shape, and you can also view the piece from the inside out and from the outside in. It's almost, it has cuts and slivers. It's hard to explain, but there's seating on the inside. to about 20 or 30 people. I think a band of musicians could play on the inside of it in different areas. Some of the programming that I'm working on with some of my friends, one's an actor named Roger Guinevere Smith and he played in a lot of Spike Lee's movies, but he's done a lot of reenactments and we've done some stuff before in Philadelphia. And so we're also looking at using that as a place for readings and people to um, perform different things at different moments. And then also uh, friends with a jazz musician named Taurus Mantine is someone who I've been collaborating um, since I first started making work. And it's an opportunity for, to bring back those kind of relationships early in the program, but it's also gonna have a life of its own. If that's the part that's very exciting, especially at the moments when, you know, people on Instagram and social media and, and Hopefully, you'll see these kind of images of these events and these moments.
1: Radcliffe, I know music plays an important role in your work as a subject. How do you envision the role of music at Cascade Springs? You mentioned your friend, the jazz musician. Would you make it available to other performing artists?
0: Yes. I actually think about it like in terms of like, you know, it would be awesome if, um, you know, there's a high school band that performs and practices within the space. I think it's gonna have its own thing. I just, it's hard to really foresee it. I I'm imagine a lot of different things that are happening that could happen. I, it would be awesome if things could happen around the time of the jazz festival. It would be a nice place where people could talk about current events or things that are happening within the community. But music is, music has always been like the key to everything in terms of, even with me as a visual artist, music has always been like the glue to my work. I'm very much influenced by jazz musicians, free jazz, and of course, like Coltrane's and people like Ornette Coleman, all these different individuals. But we also have a lot of these young musicians who live within the community. And I'm thinking about them in terms of places to play. So yeah. It's a, you know, I remember when I first visited the site at the spring and I was walking out, I remember a young guy out with a guitar performing in the back of the woods and, said, and it struck me. And I said, I think I want to do something like this, more like I am with you.
1: Oh, wow. You know, it sounds like you would need an administrator. I mean, you need someone to manage all this. You wouldn't have time as an artist, would you?
0: No, no. I think that in the beginning, I like to kind of create some programming in the beginning, but I also want it to have a life of its own. And, you know, I think that the city um, will probably have certain ways in which they can program it.
1: You mentioned your friend, the actor. I read that you were interested in reenactments of Frederick Douglass speeches. Did that actor friend portray Frederick Douglass.
0: Yes, I think he did a portray of um, Frederick Douglass in Martha's Vineyard. Wow. The moment when Frederick Douglass spoke in Martha's Vineyard. I didn't get a chance to see it. I wish I could have. But we're talking about some things, and I'm just tr- really trying to figure out. You know, sometimes you make work, and the work speaks to you afterwards, and I, that has a lot to do with titles and and its purpose and meaning. The work does different things to different people. I feel as if I'm like a vessel and I just want things to come through me and I want to share as much information and share and have people involved in the process as well.
1: If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes, speaking with the acclaimed Atlanta artist Radcliffe Bailey. What can you tell us about your public commission for the downtown Greenway in Greensboro, North Carolina, that sounds like it was a major project.
0: Yeah, it's still underway right now. The piece itself is based around um, the sit-ins in Greensboro, but it's also, you know, there's a relationship because it's in the same neighborhood as North Carolina AT t and Bennett College. And right across the street from it, there's a place called the Magnolia House. The Magnolia House is a part of the Green Book. So it has its own history right there. The piece that I'm doing is the fourth one. I would say I would liken the, the in the uh, Greenway in North Carolina, you know, like the High Line, like the belt Line. It's one of those kind of walking spaces. But my commission is one of the last ones that's going in. And the idea with the commission was that I grew up, visit my family members up north by way of the train. My father was a railroad engineer and we would always catch the Southern Crescent going up and down the coast. And, you know, there's another part of it that my, on my father's side, they were a part of the Underground Railroad and they were migrating to get to Canada and they stopped in New Jersey and met some Quakers in New Jersey at a safe house. And then they ended up creating a township within New Jersey, South New Jersey. And so There's a relationship between that and thinking about when people travel by night and thinking about people who are moving during the Underground Railroad and moving by night. And so what I did was I created a railroad track that runs 30 feet high in the sky. And at the top of the railroad track, there's a neon star. So it's literally like two thirds the size of an actual railroad track. And then as a part of the commission, there's somewhat of a walkway. And the walkway itself is made in the shape of a y shape the y shape was really relating to the Dogon the Dogon had these ladders that they would climb up into um, granaries and they're like ladders but they're like this kind of African form they were really interested in stars and cosmology and you know just looking out all that stuff affects the you know the growth of plants and things like that and, And so basically there's a reference to that ladder, which is the walkway, but there's also using the granite from the the walkways and the granite from the cobbles of the streets to create part of pieces. But then also there's a reference to a material called tabby which was used used in Southern parts of the United States. And it was brought over to the States. They say it's brought from North Africa and Spain and also Native Americans did it. And but you know, on the plantations, a lot of the houses where the enslaved Africans were were living were made out of this material, especially in southern parts of the United States, which is a combination of oyster shells that are mixed up and creates a line and creates its own concrete. It's kind of porous kind of material. So I'm using a lot of these materials from steel concrete. And you know, the piece itself, as you walk through the piece, You will be able to pull out your smartphone and you will also be able to kind of get a sense of the uh, music that I'm listening to, commissioning some poets. And there's a mixture of of things. So I'm kind of creating somewhat of a radio station throughout the piece. (laughs) Okay.
1: Will it play W-A-B-E?
0: I think we should. (laughs) I
1: think you could stream it. (laughs) I read that this installation in Greensboro, will have features that point to how the city played a pivotal role in the nonviolent protests during the height of the Civil Rights Movement. How will that be revealed?
0: Well, you know, the piece was inspired at the time. It was uh, Black Lives Matters, and I was thinking about all these places where people congregated and need to discuss these things and need to let their voices be known. And so I was really creating this piece thinking about that, because it was really at the moment when a lot of things were happening. So that's the part of it where it will have its own life as well as, you know, like the Cascade Springs Nature Preserve.
1: Radcliffe, what input did you get from the community of Greensboro to come up with the concept of Freedom Cornerstone, which is the title of your installation?
0: Well, there's a group of people who came together and they discussed it from the Civil Rights Institution in the city that's in the old Walsworth building. And we met and we talked and we discussed different things, but the community itself, it was it was very complicated. I've done some interviews online, Zoom calls, but it was very complicated. Part of it was the pandemic, but we had to operate in a different way And, you know, I wanted to be sensitive towards the subjects. I didn't want to be an artist that just came in and just said, Hey, I'm going to do something about the sit-ins. I'm you know, that's what they see all the time. They need to see it in a different way. And I didn't want to, how can I say, restrain myself from doing my actual work. There's a delicate dance when you're doing a commission where you want to do your work and you don't necessarily want to stray away from the work you do, there is a compromise, but the compromise is really collaboration, not that you have to change yourself. And so that's the part of it. It's a good thing for me. I've always like when I've done works in different museum shows and group shows, and it was really based around a theme or a subject matter. There's a certain amount of freedom where I do what I do and that's allowed. But sometimes when you deal with a city, it can be complicated because You're also dealing with people and their sensitivities. And you have to understand that they don't necessarily look at art in the same way you do. The art world sometimes speaks to itself. And I really believe in speaking to people and sharing that information.
1: You recently had a solo exhibition, Ascents and Echoes, at the Jack Shainman Gallery in New York. What was the focus of that show? (laughs)
0: <laughs> I hate to say it. The work was made at these pandemic moments. I had to lock myself in the studio, my studios at home. So it was a beautiful moment for me to actually focus and spend more time with my work. We were at a very uncertain time and I really wanted to do some work. A lot of times I'm doing work and I feel like it's a form of prayer. I'm not a religious person, but I'm a spiritual person. So I felt like you know, this was a moment that I could look within and I could reflect on things I've done in the past and things I'm doing on the, in the present, but also the present moment that we're in. And I really wanted to kind of create work that was, you know, ascending and moving forward. And then also I'm always caught with one step in the past, and one step in the present. Yeah, and this work itself was a combination of sculptural works, stuff that was made with railroad uh, references to, you know, I made a piece that was really based on monuments from civil war. At the moment, all these monuments are being taken down. I kind of recreated a monument that was based around African-Americans who fought in the civil war. And as well as I created a piece that I showed in the being now, and it's been about like 2019 when I showed the piece. And so the piece itself was, it's a reference to like the Clotilda um, that was in the Mobile Bay. It was one of the legal slave ships that was sunken. And so I made a reference to that where I created this kind of uh, shape. My son thinks it looks like a skateboard ramp. So, that shape that's the bottom of a ship. But it's, there's also, it's called Nomo, the piece, and inside of it are plaster busts. And it's a radio that's really playing the sounds of Sunra, Sunra's music. And I kind of created like a little radio station within that radio. And on the top of the radio, there is a pyramid shaped antenna. And but the piece is probably about 20 feet by 15 feet. It appears like the bottom of the ship, but it's not a slave ship per se. It's more like a spaceship. And it was a reference to when Sunra played and Istanbuli played on the back of a truck and there was a recording of him playing on the back of a truck driving through the streets of Istanbul.
1: Wow. You were featured in the 2021 HBO special, Black Art in the Absence of Light. What missing piece of art history did that documentary illuminate?
0: You know, David Driscoll, rest in peace, he passed during these times, and he... It was a friend. There's a lot to be said. There's a lot of there's a lot of African American artists all around the country who made work, made work for a particular reason. They were not necessarily making it to jump into the art world. They were making it because they had to make it. And there are a lot of them that exist, and a lot of them haven't really gotten there just to. And we come from a lot of us younger artists, we come from. Them, we stand on their shoulders. A lot of us can name twenty or thirty of them that we know that you know the general public doesn't know, and the main art world doesn't know. But there are these artists that exist that we all we reference from, and I think it's important to acknowledge them as they as I was acknowledged in the HBO film, which was an honor. But I also think it's important to acknowledge them, and I think that David Driscoll has always done that, and he um, knew the importance and, you know, being around people like Bearden and Catlett's, you know, all these different important African-American artists. I just feel honored to just be able to have something to say or be a part of that.
1: Atlanta artist Radcliffe Bailey. His installations will be at the Cascade Springs Nature Preserve in southwest Atlanta and the other in Greensboro, North Carolina, at the downtown Greenway. More information can be found on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. In a moment, the next installment in our series, Speaking of the Arts, where we hear from local creative artists in their own words. You're tuned to WABE at
0: Lat.
1: This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes, thank you for listening. It's time now for our segment, Speaking of the Arts, where we hear some of Atlanta's creative artists in their own words.
2: I'm Angela Faustina. I'm a local artist known for my sticky sweet paintings and murals that transform fruit into its own unique world. Walking the line between realism and idealism, these are not your traditional still life paintings. Although I was creative and loved drawing when I was young, I didn't start pursuing art until my first year at New College of Florida. I thought I would study history, maybe lit or political science, but a roommate thought it would be fun to take an intensive art course together with a visiting professor from UGA. It completely changed my life. I absolutely fell in love with making art. I started taking more and more art classes and my painting professor started asking to exhibit some of my paintings in little exhibitions on campus, which led to little and then bigger exhibitions off of campus. And it eventually snowballed from there. I'm proud to say that my paintings are now collected and exhibited worldwide. I'm constantly inspired by farms and farmers markets, light and color, the human body, other artists and their work. There's this saying, when you're constantly looking for beauty and inspiration, you start to find it everywhere. And it's so true. If I didn't move to Atlanta in 2015, I don't think I would have started painting murals. I've exhibited in galleries for years, but I wanted to share my art with more people. So I took a chance and applied to the Stack Squares mural project in Cabbage Town. It was a wonderful, life-changing experience and so much fun. That pomegranate mural is gone, but I now have murals throughout the southeastern US. Atlanta is the best place to be a professional artist. It's competitive, but not cutthroat. There are tons of opportunities, so there's room for everyone to be successful. And the art community itself is wonderful, diverse, and very supportive. Cat Creative, Mint, ABV Gallery, White Space, and Free Market Gallery usually have great exhibitions featuring amazing artists, many of them local. The High Museum is always a fun time. I enjoy going over to Marietta to see the new art at the loft and around Marietta Square. I also love getting outside and finding public art. It's nearly everywhere in Metro Atlanta, so you don't need to look too hard. I'm proud to say my artwork is all over the city. I have a piece in Cat Eye Creative's newest show in downtown Atlanta. You can see and purchase my limited edition fine art print at the Print Shop in Pond City Market. I'm also represented by The Loft, which is above Marietta Square. They have a wide range of my artwork, from six-inch works on paper to oil paintings taller than I am. Um, on January 29th, ABV Galleries one by one exhibition opens, and I'm thrilled to have a piece on display there. And if you want to get outside, you can find my peach mural in downtown Marietta and my pomegranate mural on Path 400 in Buckhead. My full body of work is at AngelaFaustina.com.
1: Artist Angela Faustina and our series Speaking of the Arts. More information about Faustina's work can be found on our website, WABE.org slash City Lights. Coming up, we'll celebrate City Lights' seventh anniversary with a listen back to my favorite interview of our first year, comedian Gilbert Gottfried. You're tuned to WABE Atlanta. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for being here. Seven years ago, in January of 2015, the number one movie in the country was American Sniper. The number one book was Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn. And the number one song was Uptown Funk by Mark Ronson and Bruno Mars.
3: for for them girls, good girls, straight living it up in the
1: city. Got with Saint Laurent. Got a kiss. Also of note, in January 2015, our show. City Lights was born on this date, January 12th. City Lights and Closer Look came into being. I've been honored to host this show for the last seven years, and I look forward to many more years of amplifying the best arts and culture Atlanta has to offer. Today is officially our seventh anniversary and to celebrate we're going to listen back to my absolute favorite interview of our first year. That with comedian Gilbert Gottfried. He was in town for a couple of stand-up shows and dropped by the WABE studios to say hi. I was new as a talk show host and I had no idea how much fun and funny, yes, hilarious, he would be. I'm Lois Reitz is with me in the studio. One of the great comic minds
3: of all time. Gilbert Gottfried, welcome. yatch. Gatch. See, I I feel like my voice doesn't fit for public radio. Oh, it's
1: perfect. Yeah,
3: yeah. I just feel like everything on public radio is like that.
1: Well, actually, you, you could make your mark. You could set a new trend. But I think you do fit public broadcasting beautifully because you're so smart.
3: Yes, See, I fool people. <laughs> yeah, we like yeah. the intelligent I, Obviously, butt. you don't spend much time with me <laughs> if you think I'm smart. No, I'm a huge fan. And I've got a podcast, Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. I want to talk about that later. dot GilbertGottfried.com. GilbertGottfried.com. And
1: such chutzpah, speaking of public broadcasting, you actually have like a little pledge drive you do before it oh starts. Oh, my
3: God, yes. Do you give away tote bags? Uh, yes, and, and a DVD of Pavarotti. Yeah. (laughs) Wait,
1: what we would need was Pavarotti from heaven doing your voice. Oh, yes. Maybe maybe we could remaster something like this. Well, so there's something very funny. I mean, let's say hilarious, outrageously funny on the Internet now a bit of college humor um, with you reading from Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes. We can't air that. We could (laughs) maybe the or and from from that, but it is just sensational. We're an all-ages radio program, and we want to keep our license. So in the true tradition of public broadcasting, Gilbert, we'd love for you to read something considered... Outrageous and sensational from about a hundred years ago. And, ah. and of course it's British because, you know, that makes it classy. In your own voice.
3: Okay. Would you treat us to something? No, I'll have to go sideways. Oh, that sounds dirty already. <laughs> <laughs> See, already. With me, no matter what I say, comes out filthy.
1: Well, let's hear from Lady Chatterley's lover.
3: Okay. She found her scrap of handkerchief and was blindly trying to dry her face. Shall you come to the hut? He said (laughs) in a quiet, neutral voice. Oh, quiet. And And closing his hand softly on her upper arm, he drew her up and led her slowly to the hut, but not letting go of her till she was inside. Then he cleared aside the chair and table and took a brown soldier's blanket from the tool chest. Spreading it slowly, she glanced at his face, as she stood motionless. His face was pale without expression, like of a man submitting to fate. You lie there, he said (laughs) softly as he shut the door, so that it was dark, quite dark.
1: D. H. Lawrence is smiling.
3: That's, I think he was thinking of me when he wrote this. <laughs> no, it just, uh,
1: Did you know he's buried in New Mexico? He is? Who knew? Who knew?
3: You could go to his grave. D.H. Lawrence, who knew? Who knew? Who knew? I want D.H. Uh, Lawrence was buried in New Mexico. Now you know. Now, I'm going to take a, a wild guess that D.H. Lawrence hated the Jews. Mm. All of the famous writers seem to... Dad all of them, but it was kind of fashionable. I, I don't think yeah, we was like like wearing your hair a certain style. <laughs> but he was more a, of a red whether uh, dress hems are up or down. I know. don't know if he was an English fascist. There were those at I the think time. I would guess he was, but I'm not sure. I know Oscar Wilde. Oh, he did? Yeah. I know Shaw did. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah.
1: And yet we have such exemplary citizens like you representing (laughs) us. Why? Why would there be prejudice?
3: Oh, and the guy, the guy that, I forget his name, who wrote Willy Wonka. Oh yes, Roald Dahl. Yes, yeah, that's well known. Yeah, we don't want to know about. What did him. he say about the Jews? You don't want to you know. Yeah. You know oh wow! You upset. Are, do you let your kids watch Willy Wonka? Uh, yeah, because they cut out the anti-Semitic portions. <laughs> and <laughs> they even cast Gene Wilder a Jew, true, in that, true. which he must be sp- spinning in his <laughs> grave. <laughs> when did you first realize you were funny? I still haven't, and you the audience really? uh, certainly hasn't. No. Uh, um,
1: when. Do you remember the first moment you made someone laugh?
3: Okay. This is my early, the earliest joke I remember was when I was a little kid and I was in school in kindergarten or the first grade and I, uh, the teacher was talking to us and there was one kid who was daydreaming. So she, the teacher took a newspaper and put it on the kid's head and and i <laughs> i i yelled out that's the headlines. Oh, that. How yes, old were and, you? And I just got a rim shot from. But, and you know, my, my humor hasn't really gotten too much more intellectual. I don't know. That was pretty and, cerebral. <laughs> that was pretty cerebral. Yeah, like a, for, for a two year old. Well, what about you? Like, was your bar mitzvah speech funny? Never got bar mitzvah. Get out was, of uh, town. Yeah. How come? Yeah, I'll, I'm sorry. I'll leave. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, Shakespeare's a hard one to
1: figure out. Shakespeare, we're back in the public broadcasting yeah, mode, you're uh, thinking, yes.
3: okay, Yeah, because, I mean, Sorry. I think ultimately, I mean, Merchant of Venice is a very anti-Semitic play, but it's got that one portion uh, where he's, you know, hath not a Jew eyes, yeah. that's really in defense of the Jews, but the whole thing is... Uh, it's provided dissertation topics
1: for centuries and you know, it's still ongoing. There's the director of the Atlanta Shakespeare Company actually thinks it's virulently anti
3: Semitic. Oh yeah.
1: Well, but I, but you have rabbis giving sermons defending him.
3: Yeah. I mean there's there's that one part, the not a Jew eyes part, that sounds like it's defending the Jews, but the rest of it yeah. Also, there's the part in the play where, like, these two girls say, oh, that trial is going badly. Let's disguise ourselves as men. And you go, you know, they wouldn't allow that. That would be too dumb for an episode of Three's Company.
0: <laughs> well, there is a
3: really funny riff on The
1: Merchant of Venice. Actually, it's got a little bit of... um. King
3: Lear and other stuff rolled in. Do you know the the author Christopher Moore? Uh no, no, but I should act like I do. No, <laughs> okay. Well it's it, on public radio. No, his book it's called The Serpent of Venice. Yes. And
1: it's very funny. He also wrote a book called Lamb as told the story of Jesus as told to his best friend Biff.
3: <laughs>
1: and my favorite line from that is, Will you pass the hummus? <laughs> okay, but let's get back to something that that has to do with you. You didn't have a bar mitzvah, but you do have this podcast series. And there's something there's something very tender about it. You, <laughs> you pay tribute to people yes. you really love and respect.
3: Yeah, and it's harder. And I I mean, my whole idea was like it should be focused on old Hollywood and old showbiz, which is harder and harder to find. I keep having to cross people off the wish list. <laughs> <laughs> Even with Living Longer. Oh, yeah. You had Adam West. Adam West. He was a great one, a great guest. Uh, uh, let's see. Well, Henry Winkle's not that old. No. He was He's one like of our, our age. He was one of our kids uh, on the <laughs> show. Uh, but I had on, both from F Troop, Larry Storch and Ken Berry. Old. Yeah, and I mean Larry Storch was like ninety-two, and not our oldest guest. No. We also had on Joe Franklin, then and... Borscht Belt people. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Wright's. as we're celebrating City Light's 7th anniversary by listening back to my 2015 interview with comedian Gilbert Gottfried. Now, who, who are
3: your comic idols? Oh, God, I had so many growing up. See, because I remember, like, growing up, they'd have all these old movies on TV, so I got into watching the Marx Brothers. Oh, and- brilliant. Oh, and all that stuff. I mean, there'd be the old movies on, and then the variety shows. So many different things like that. Yeah,
1: at Sullivan, I mean, you could find Kenny Mars, all those great Borscht Belt people who float through there, and they seemed incongruous somehow in late 1950s, early 60s television, and yet, um, I guess because it was in New York, they were there at fit. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I I was watching one of the episodes where you ha- uh, you had Susie Esman. Oh yeah. I was listening. Yeah, listening. I, could, I it was so vivid. I could see. And she said something that just seemed totally unbelievable. She was saying that when the club owners wanted to close for the night, they would send out you and Larry David.
3: <laughs> yes.
1: That's true? Uh, yeah, yeah.
3: Come on. Well, with, with me, I could go one way or the other, and I never really cared if the audience liked me or not back then, so it's like I could either do well or bomb severely, and if I bombed severely, people would leave. With Larry David, he would get into fights. <laughs> With the audience, he hated being up there, and and he would start like uh, yelling at the people, like if one person looked like they weren't laughing, he'd get into a fight with them. How, uh, what's changed? What has evolved?
1: Larry David is brilliant. brilliant,
3: richest person on in the universe. No
1: kidding, and yet he still works and takes risks. You're pretty funny yourself. And so what evolved? How did you go from like driving
3: the audience home at 2 a.m. Well, uh, yeah, I drove them home uh, because <laughs> uh, I made. That's how I was able to support myself. No seriously, because <laughs> my comedy was awful, so I had to drive them home and and live on tips. <laughs> All right, oh, but Susie said you were too cheap and you took the bus. One. Oh, oh, I knew the bus schedule perfectly back <laughs> then. Are you still cheap? Oh, oh, yes. Yeah, it's harder and harder when you got kids and stuff to be cheap. Uh, yeah. Just I, more painful.
1: I want to hear about your kids. They're young. Are they funny?
3: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, um... Uh, let's... Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Tell us about them. Oh, geez. Ages? Well, uh, well f- um, I have a son five and a daughter seven. Cute. And, and my son, when he was, I don't know, he was in preschool. He was about three or so uh the teacher was telling us well he's not paying attention in class and he's always trying to be funny (laughs) and i thought oh i'll i'll have to reprimand him right away (laughs) and 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 she said she asked him she said um uh where did you learn how to be funny and he said from my daddy oh and then she said oh your daddy's funny and he goes He's funny at home, not at work. (laughs) The kid's got a career ahead of him soon. And what about your little girl? Does she joke around too? Uh, Yeah, yeah, both of them. And Oh, and I remember the teacher saying recently with my son that he's been using some bad words you take you let him go to your shows yeah yeah. (laughs) no i'm just thinking i i don't let him go to my shows but you know they always pick up bad words and i certainly cannot with a straight face Tell him, no, those words are bad. <laughs> yes, you can. It's part
1: of being a parent. It's called an asymmetrical relationship. Yeah, it's called I can hypocrisy. swear Hypocrisy. Exactly. <laughs> and when you're an adult, you can be a hypocrite, too. Well, speaking of kids, during Comedy Central's Night of Too Many Stars, you appeared with Ron Suskind's son. Oh, yes. And the backstory was very emotional. Um, What was that experience like
3: for you? It was like, out of nowhere, this uh, article popped up in the New York Times. And it was this Ron Suskin, he had a son who was six years old who he never had a conversation with. and The child was autistic. uh, Yeah, his child was autistic. He couldn't uh, carry on like, two words with him there was no communication and but he noticed his son liked Disney movies particularly Aladdin and in which you're a star yes I was the parrot Diago so Shakespeare
1: one, again public broadcast. yes broadcasting. yes yes okay, from
3: okay. Othello there you go yes I'm sure there was an anti-Jew reference <laughs> yeah okay. he, there had to be <laughs> so <laughs> getting back to oh, okay. autism Ah, uh, no. So the father, uh, put had an with the parrot puppet, and he put it on his hand, and he started talking. He st- in my voice. He started imitating me, and he said, uh how do you feel?" And he looked, turned to the parrot, and said, I, I'm not happy." Aww. And then he and the son started talking. And your voice,
1: yeah, enabled this child who hadn't spoken for
3: four years, to yeah. find his voice, and and then so on. And it's it's online. It's on. You could look it's it up on beautiful. YouTube. Uh where they brought him out on Night of Too Many Stars, and uh, me and his son Owen start uh, doing passages of, uh, of Aladdin. What was going through your head when Owen was doing you as Iago? Yeah, I, I was scared that he was doing it a little too well. <laughs> <laughs> in the next in the sequel. And um so so yeah, that was that was a pretty amazing uh, moment. You looked you looked like you felt humbled. Yes. Yeah. And and it was like uh, at and, and and after it was over there were uh you know there were people crying yeah and and it got a standing ovation
1: understandably yeah. i mean look did you ever imagine that your unique voice would be used for good instead of evil exactly <laughs> And we're talking
3: really good have you have you seen owen since uh, yeah yeah well i after the article came out uh, he uh uh Ron invited me to his school oh. to uh, Owen's school, and I met him then well,
1: I highly recommend folks watching it online
3: and um You would probably... And also online. Oh, yeah. Let's go to Gilbert Gottfried's. No, no. uh, Amazing Colossal Podcast, GilbertGottfried.com. But I was going to say, on the same show, uh, on Night of Too Many Stars... Uh, uh, Me, Will Forte, and Al Roker sing backup to uh, John Bon Jovi. Now, that was, Dead or Alive. That was an eclectic moment, yeah. I must say. And it has the full moment on. <laughs> it
1: was fabulous. Well, Gilbert Gottfried, today on this show, we heard you reading from Lady Chatterley's Lover in addition to your inimitable self. Thank you
3: so much. It was very erotic. <laughs> Did you
1: say neurotic?
3: Uh, both. Okay. <laughs>
1: Check out all that good stuff we talked about online. Can I give you a kiss? Oh, sure. All right. <laughs> Love it.
3: See, I got some action out of this, <laughs> So it was worth waking up early. Thank you. This is early. Yes. All right, I guess. <laughs> and the curtain goes up at eight. Oh, and listen to GilbertGotfrey.com on... Oh, no, listen to Gilbert Godfrey's Amazing Colossal Podcast on GilbertGotfrey.com. And my Twitter is RealGilbert. As in R-E-E-L? A, a what? Oh,
1: uh, R-E-A-L. Oh, the real thing. Okay. No imitations. The one and only Gilbert Gottfried from our 2015 conversation. 2015 was the inaugural year of Closer Look and City Lights. And listening back to my favorite interview from that year on City Lights was a fun way to celebrate. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture Tomorrow at 11 a.m., Chuck and Stacy Reese tell us about their new online venture, Salvation South. If you missed part of today's show, you could catch up on our website, wabe.org citylights. There you'll find our complete archive of interviews, so... You can listen to City Lights on your own schedule. City Lights senior producer is Kim Drogues. Summer Evans is our producer. And our engineer is Shelley Knavey. I'm your host, Lois Reitzis, And we want you to connect with City Lights on social media. Share your feedback with us on Facebook at W-A-B-E City Lights. Or check out our pictures and videos on Instagram, where we are at City Lights underscore Lois And of course, I would love it if you'd follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR.